Hi, I'm Marshall Greenberg, and you're listening to Drinking and Joshing, Torah with a Twist. And I hope you brought all your gold to bring to cover everything we're about to touch. So for anyone who knows me, they know that I am probably one of the handiest people they know. I can build anything. I can put lots of things together if I ask for help. Okay, so I may not be the world's best builder, but I am pretty good at puzzles and art and doing some crafts and at least doing my part in making sure that projects come together. And that's really what Teruma is all about. It's this idea that everybody has a gift that they might be able to bring to make something incredible. That's what we're trying to do here today with Teruma in this particular episode. We're really excited because we happen to have somebody who is all about making beautiful things come together. Our guest today is Asher Greenberg, who's the production manager at SteveWorks LLC, a family-owned residential remodeling contractor working in Newton, Massachusetts and the surrounding area. Founded in 2000, SteveWorks was committed to quality, diversity, and sustainability, and is a member of NESEA, the Northeast Sustainable Energy Association. And under that umbrella, Asher is a co-convener of ARAG, Anti-Racist Action Group working to make changes in this industry. SteveWorks considers energy performance, the carbon footprint of materials and resources, universal design principles, durability, functionality, and beauty when designing and executing projects their clients will enjoy for many years to come. Asher's passion for sustainability drives each and every project. Asher believes that sustainability is not just about using green products, More importantly, it's about gathering information and collaborating to arrive at the best decision for each client and situation. Asher sounds a lot like Edan with this podcast. Using his UMass building construction technology background and his extensive building science experience, he works to produce durable, efficient, healthy homes that their clients, and honestly, we will love for many years to come. Asher, it's so exciting and so wonderful to welcome you to the show. Welcome to Drinking and Drashing Tour with a Twist. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, everybody, for having me. Excited to be here. A pleasure and a privilege. It's also always one of my favorite things to be able to introduce my favorite builder, the one that helps me build all of the things I need to get built. How you doing, Gabe Snyder, co-host with the best tools? Hey, Amanda. And of course, the person who believes in collaborating on our project, making sure that everything runs smoothly, and also making sure that we create something that's durable and beautiful, executive producer, Edon Waldman. Thank you for everything you do. How's it going today? It's going great. Sushi just arrived. (laughs) Excellent. For those that are enjoying their dinner during this podcast, we hope you enjoy eating alongside Edon. For those that are eating breakfast, maybe you'll have sushi later today. We'll find out. It'll be an adventure. And with that, let's get started. Hey, Gabe. Hey, Amanda. Quick question. When you were in preschool, what was your favorite thing to play with? Oh, blocks. Definitely blocks. Yeah? Why was that? Well, I really liked the blocks because I could make, like, a really tall tower. But then there was this kid, Ari, and Ari would knock down my towers. But then I would build them again, so it was okay. So it sounds like you were ready to make something special. Yeah. 
for me, it used to be coloring. I used to love being able to add some artwork to, you know, different pieces and being able to hang it up. So for me, one of my favorite holidays, and it sounds like maybe one of yours too, actually happened to be Sukkot, where we got to build something and like throw some corn stalks up there, but also hang up decorations. Was that one of your favorite things to do too as a kid? Oh, loved Sukkot. Sukkot was a lot of fun. I liked making those paper chains. Yeah, I mean, like Sukkot, it's this like temporary dwelling, right? Like this place where we're just able to hang out, but we have to build it. We have to add some art to it. We have to construct something holy in kind of a temporary location, right? Right. Yeah, it's kind of just nice to have a place to chill outside, you know, with your people every once in a while. Okay, but is there anything like that in the Torah? Oh, yes, there is. And it just so happens that we find it in this week's Torah portion. God wants a place to chill with the people. So what does God do? God tells Moses to get the people to bring gifts of gold, silver, copper, blue yarn, purple yarn, crimson yarn, linen, goat hair, ram skin, dolphin skin, acacia wood, oil, spices, incense, and gems. Hey, Gabe, did you say dolphin skins? Yup, moving on. God has some very specific instructions on how to build this dwelling place, complete with materials and exact dimensions. I wonder if we have a builder who could make some sense of all of this, because honestly, I got a little lost here. There's a wooden ark that's two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide and a cubit and a half tall, overlaid with gold inside and out, and also some gold molding and rings and feet and wooden poles also overlaid with gold. The ark is for the tablets, so that's cool. What else? A cover of pure gold two and a half by one and a half cubits with golden hammered cherubim facing each other with their wings shielding the cover. Put the cover on the ark, the tablets are in the ark, and then it's covered with the cover. Cool. Oh, and we also need some bowls and ladles and jars and jugs. Also gold. If you ask me, God's house is getting a little gaudy. Get it? Gaudy. What's that? It's a menorah, also gold, with three branches on either side with cups shaped like almond blossoms. Are we done yet? Not even a little bit. God wants a tabernacle made of 10 strips of fine twisted linen, the blue, purple, and crimson yarns, and also there should be some nice cherub designs. The dimensions of each cloth are 28 by 4 cubits, and they should be joined together in groups of five. Also, there should be 50 loops of blue wool on each set, because obviously, what's a tabernacle without blue wool loops? The whole thing is held together with 50 gold clamps. And another covering, this one, 11 cloths of goat hair, 30 by 4 cubits, this time with copper clasps. Also, there's a tent covering of tanned ram skins and dolphin skins. Hey, Gabe, what's this dolphin skins thing again? The walls are wooden planks, each 10 by 1.5 cubits. There are 20 of these on the south side with 40 silver sockets and 20 on the north with another 40 sockets and 6 to the west. Also, some wooden bars, 5 for each side. Oh, and overlay all of those with gold while you're at it. And a curtain, blue, purple, and crimson yarns with fine linen and the all-important cherubim. This is hung on four wooden posts overlaid with gold and gold hooks set into silver sockets. Then we get some nice interior decorating with the ark behind a curtain and the menorah on the south side opposite the table with all the vessels to the north. I'm getting a little tired of describing all of these things, so here's a quick rundown of the rest of the things we need. Just assume all of them have some very specific and mildly confusing instructions. A screen for the entrance, an altar with horns, some copper buckets and other utensils, some cloth hangings for the walls, some pots, more sockets, more utensils, and some pegs. And that's Parashat Teruma. That was awesome. <laughs> and I can definitely build that. So specific. Sounds like all my jobs. Good to go. We actually do do very specific specifications and detailed drawings so that it actually does align very well. We kind of tend to not use gold everywhere. It just isn't really in the budget that often. But the details and the 
clarity and the not clarity all are very reminiscent of my day to day. Have you ever measured using qubits? No. And does it, everybody have the same qubit? Like, isn't it a elbow to fingertip kind of measurement thing? Yeah, no, I was just curious if that's like a thing that anybody does anymore. But nope, now we know. We use all sorts of different things to measure, but I don't think qubits come up too often. <laughs> I just loved Asher's being like, I could build that. <laughs> He's like, I'm like, I'm ready. Let's go. More details than we often get. <laughs> Azure, I loved your attitude about the fact that you could just totally build it. Like you have all the materials, you could build it. Um, it might go a little bit against your sustainability efforts, depending on what materials you decide to use or scrap or repurpose. But one of the things that I'm curious about is how is it that you decided you wanted to get into the design and sustainability business of contracting, right? Like this idea of we want to make things efficient. We want to make things great for the environment. We want to make sure that these things are beautiful. How do those all work together? And how did you choose to go into that field? I'm going to ask your, answer your second question first. I ended up in this field because I've been doing this forever. I started as young as five doing little handyman projects with my dad around the house. And then that developed into every school break working with my father and then that turned into a college career and a full-time employment. So I ended up in this position partially by chance, but also because my skills and my passions kind of led me here. The design and the efficiency, a lot of it came from my parents, how they raised me and, and how we grew up and not wasting and being mindful of the environment and our planet. A lot of the things that I was taught in Jewish day school about taking care of the earth and being mindful of our planet really just became part of my core values. And then when construction came about and I ended up in school, in college, learning about building science, and that was a whole new thing I never heard about. And it really gets into the science of how do we produce buildings and how do we use our buildings to use less resources and actually have a positive impact on the environment instead of a negative one. And all of those things, little pieces here and there just started influencing day-to-day -day decisions of how I did my job and how we built houses. And the more we did that, the more we learned, the more mistakes we made, the more we learned. And we ended up where we are today, continuing to make mistakes and learn and creating beautiful homes that will hopefully last generations because of all the mistakes that we made and all the things we learned. I really love this idea of like learning from your mistakes and being able to literally build off of them, be able to build from that knowledge. I'm really curious about how you see all of this in relation to your Jewish values and your Jewish ethics. You talked about how you kind of got from Jewish day school and you got from your Jewish education, this uh, desire to care for the earth, to be environmentally friendly, to be sustainable. I'm wondering if there's something even more basic than that, it really just about the building itself that might relate to some of those core values. What does it mean to build Jewishly? Is that even a thing? I think something that sets our company apart 
from other construction companies is that we are more driven not only by the desire to profit, but by the desire to make change and the desire to have a positive impact on our communities. And I think community is one of the biggest Jewish values out there. Kehillah, bringing everyone together, not only serving your own community, but outreach to other communities. Just those instincts of helping others, not just as part of a business, but for other reasons, for emotional reasons, for community reasons. I mean, one of the things that SteveWorks does is we're actually part of a network called Bottom Lines, which means that all of the companies in that group commit to being a triple bottom lines company, which means we call them the three Ps, people, planet, and profit. And I intentionally put profit at the end because people and planet are, to me, more important than just the profit. And so we're a mission-driven company. We're not just a profit-driven company. And I think that really comes from my upbringing, my Jewish upbringing, my family's Jewish upbringing. And then when you talk about your family's Jewish upbringing and the fact that you're mission-driven, right, instead of being profit-driven, which I think is really extraordinary, especially when we're talking about a portion that overlays gold on everything, which seems, by the way, not only, like, to be expensive, but also to seem, like, really impractical if it needs to be moved consistently, And so one of the things that I'm curious about is those Jewish values or those things that really help influence the work. What are those for you? What drives the work that you're doing aside from just durability? What inspires you to build out in the way that you're doing? I think the thing that inspires me the most is really the end product that we get to deliver to a client and the reactions we get to see from our clients and the joy and enjoyment they get experiencing the space that we built for them or the space that we created for them. Since we are a design build company, we are actually doing the design and working with the clients about what are their wants and needs? What are their basic needs? What are their emotional wants? And we get to create a space that works for them and they get to enjoy and that joy that comes and you get to see it on their face when they walk into their space or when you transform their space, that end product is the goal. And that's what really inspires me to keep going. So I I don't know if you noticed, but in my distilled Parsha summary, I mentioned dolphin skins a couple of times. And this is one of those fun things in the Torah that like people like to talk about. And by people, I mean nerds like myself like to talk about. The word it's translating there that I translated as dolphin skins because that's what most English translations use is orot techashim. And so the skins of techashim. And the truth is we don't actually know what that animal is. The Babylonian Talmud says that it's an animal that has one single horn in the center of its head. So it might be unicorn skins, which is interesting. The Jerusalem Talmud says that it's a blue-colored goat. Rashi said that it was an animal that only existed at that time and doesn't exist anymore. So basically, we have no idea what it means. We get dolphin because Tehashim sounds like a word in Arabic that means sea creature. Interestingly, the King James Bible originally translated it as badger skin, but I'm going off the rails here. So my question is, 
what's the weirdest material you've ever used or what's something fun that you love to build with? My favorite material is wood. Wood is a environmentally friendly material because it sequesters carbon from the environment and then stores it in the wood. So when I get to make something beautiful out of wood and then install it permanently, I have both something good for the environment and then something beautiful. A double-edged sword of being beautiful and being good for the environment really inspires me. I've also worked with plenty of really, really weird materials that behave weird in temperature and don't work well with my regular tools. Plastic is one of those that expands and contracts with temperature. And because of the way it's formed, it's really hard to make it pretty once you've cut into it. It's also pretty bad for the environment. So we try and avoid it whenever possible, except for in certain situations where it's the right use. But I think those are kind of the two ends of my favorite products is being wood and carbon-based and not favorite products being plastics and non-carbon products. I appreciate that take, especially because some of the materials seem like they might be a little scary or a little like rich. There's a lot of spices and oils and lighting and just a lot of jewelry and gemstones that are being used for all of this. But one of the things that I think is very interesting here is that this is a place where I think you will feel very comfortable, Asher, because this portion, Taruma, is where we get the line, the Asuli Mikdash, Vishakhanti Bitocham, that you should let them make me a sanctuary so that I can dwell among them. God is very clearly and exactly giving the Israelites a blueprint for God's house. Now, here's the deal. It might be, you know, they say it's a dwelling place, so maybe it's a vacation home, and that's why it's all decked out. You know, it's really fancy. But there's something really beautiful about the making of a home, right? A sanctuary so that you can dwell. And so I'm going to ask maybe a strange question, but a really heartfelt one, which is for you, what makes the difference between creating a house and creating a home? I've actually chosen to use the word home almost exclusively with our clients. I think it connects to the space well. It also really is about how you use a home and how you experience a home. A house is a structure. A house can be passed on, can be bought, can be sold. A home is something that you make by being in it, by bringing your family into it, by decking it out the way you want it decked out, by creating special memories inside of it or outside of it. Home is an emotional thing. House is a physical thing. We connect with homes. We share our homes. We bring visitors into our homes. Home is a very Jewish thing. Houses are just a thing. So I like to create homes. I like to welcome clients back into their homes when we're done with our projects because it's giving them back their space and their home. We got to work in their house and create a home for them. Sometimes it's a bathroom. Sometimes it's a kitchen. Sometimes it's the whole thing. But either way, we are making their house more homey. The difference between a house and a home is really interesting. And I also find it interesting that in this Torah portion, God could just say, like, put up a tent, put the things in a box, make an altar, make a, you know, little platform to do things. 
But God goes through all of this detail, not just in saying this is how big it should be, but saying this is how you should decorate it. Say when God describes the menorah, the menorah is this seven branched candelabra that has cups on the top that are shaped like almond blossoms. It really beautifies what could just be a lamp. It doesn't need to be anything special and yet it is. And we get these fancy materials because we want these things to be special. And so I think what you're talking about making not just houses, but making homes, making something special is really echoed in this Torah portion. I'm curious as a builder, how you see some of the logistics in this Torah portion, how you see some of these details of, you know, God gives a blueprint, but as we said, it's a little confusing. There's a lot going on. What's happening here? They're building this in the desert with found materials. How would you as a builder respond to such a request? I think your question really relates to community. When faced with challenges where I don't have the answers or we don't have the best practice set forth in front of us, we reach out to our community and ask questions and ask if anyone's done it before. And maybe if someone has extra materials lying around that we can use for our project. So my first response in that scenario would be to reach out to the community and say, what materials do you have? What strengths and weaknesses are out there in our community that we can come together to make this special place, to make this place of interactions, interactions with each other, interactions with the space. When you're talking about the space, I'm imagining all these beautiful things that the community brings together and brings in and everyone gets to interact with those items in that place. And it really reminds me of the homes we build for people. And as they're in their spaces, they're interacting with the things that I've made. They're interacting with each other. They actually get to interact with the decisions that we made during the design process. A lot of those decisions relate specifically to how our bodies relate to the space, temperature, to hot, to cold, to texture. All of those concepts come together into how you interact with the space. And getting back to your original question, the community and the people that are in that space really make the interactions powerful and beautiful. It's not just about you and your family in your home, but bringing guests into your home. How do they interact with the space that was created for you or with you or by you? And I think the community aspect is really the answer to this question. Which is totally echoed in the Torah portion, right? Like the first line is have the people bring gifts of gold and of silver and these fabrics and these yarns that they have for some reason. I'm curious about this like use of found materials. You know, granted they're in the wilderness, they don't have a lot of options, but I think there's something really interesting bringing back the sustainability into the conversation about the fact that everything they're using to build this space that is the most sacred thing is found, is recycled, is reused. So what does that say to you about holiness, about space, about materials? What are your thoughts? I think reusing materials and especially reusing personal items creates a strong bond and a connection to the space. If you get to see 
the item you brought in a communal space being used and enjoyed by everybody that bonds you to that place and elevates it and makes it holy. And we talk about this space of holiness of God's space for the people to enjoy. You get to enjoy it because you see yourself in it and you belong and your community can all belong together. And it's the space that you created together. And it really, I think there's nothing more special than being in a place built by community, whether it's the idea of community, the idea of the space, the physical properties of the space, the thing that makes it holy and spiritual and enjoyable are the people that helped build it, however they helped build it. And so using materials that were once in your home, but are now in this holy place, maybe it makes you feel more holy because your item is now more holy and connected to that space. And I think when you bring everybody's materials together, wow, that's just as much holy as you can get there. I think also when we're speaking about holy spaces, there's a sense of safety. There's a sense of ease. And here, and I know you spoke about wood before, and I apologize if I butcher this word, but I'm sure you'll correct me and I'm okay with our listeners knowing that I am learning on the job. But a lot of the wood that's used in the tabernacle is acacia wood, acacia wood. How do we say it? I don't know. All right, that's fair. We're going to go with acacia wood. I said acacia in the rundown, and I just decided that that was what it was. I don't actually know that that's what it is. You know, just like we determined as a podcast that The Prince of Egypt is the best documentary that's ever been made, we uh, are going with acacia wood. But there's a lot of acacia wood that's made here, and it talks about this idea of creating the arc of acacia wood. And this particular creation of an arc is to keep right, we say our, our tablet's safe, our, our Torah's safe, as we know it now. And here was supposed to be the place where God chose to dwell, right, this area. Well, the last time that we had such crazily specific instructions that we're supposed to follow, we were building a different type of ark, right? This is Naron, the ark that we were building with Noah is Teva, an ark that we see earlier in Exodus is also a little bit of a Teva, uh, Moses's tiny little ark, which wasn't really made so much with wood as it was with reeds. But there is something safe about creating a holy space, or so we hope. You know, that's something that we dealt with a few weeks ago with Coleyville, right? Maybe even sometimes our holy spaces can be punctured or can be invaded in some way that scares us. But the hope is that a holy space is safe with your beloved wood material. And so, you know, this is an incredible display of what materials we can use and what things we can do to promote beauty, right? There's a uh, concept of hidor mitzvah, that we beautify a mitzvah, that we make it as gorgeous as possible. And this Torah and God have some real specific ideas about what needs to be in it. But one of the things I noticed about this beautiful wooden safe space, even if it's overlaid with gold, that's fine, is that every part of the tabernacle seems in some way or another to be connected. You know, they have loops and poles and inlets and overlays and hides and furnishings and things that are all kind of connected and touching. And I know you spoke a little bit with Gabe about the people all being a part of bringing their gifts and their materials to create it. But there's also something really beautiful about a home or a safe space or a holy space 
where everything just kind of fits together. And, you know, look, I'm certainly, as Cantor Julia Kadreen said the other week, she may not be a scientist. I'm certainly no architect. I'm certainly no contractor. I'm certainly no builder. But I do know beauty when I see it or when I read it. And I think there's something absolutely beautiful about a home where all of the elements just kind of come together and fit and say, hey, like, you're safe. You're good. This is a place where you can relax. Is that the type of thing that you're trying to build with SteveWorks? Is that the type of thing that you're hoping to continue creating? Absolutely. That's core, I think, for where our design comes from. My mother is actually our designer, amongst other things in the business, and being my mother. But some of the principles besides universal design and some of the accessibility features that I know that she works with is really having things be balanced and using similar materials throughout the house that really link the whole place together. We see that a lot in trim profiles, using the same style of trim in one room and another, or differentiating spaces by changing features like that. It really brings everything together and creates separation at the same time. But the homogenous feeling of a space and creating balance and using colors or textures in one room to another, or even just the way that we align openings and windows and lights so that you have lines of sight that direct your gaze in a certain direction. All of those features are intentional and we use them intentionally to connect the different rooms, to connect the way people use those rooms and to create flow. I think there's a lot more that we could play with here. I think this conversation could go on for a really long time of just discussing like what it means to build and what it means to build with a community and sustainably and what home is really all about, what God's dwelling place really looks like or should be. I am curious though, because we do need to wrap up our conversation at some point. If you had one message or one piece of wisdom or one call to action that you'd want to leave listeners with, what would that be? What's your one thing, your soundbite, if you will? I think the thing that I try and explain or teach my clients to think about is it's not just about how your home is built. It's also about how you use your home. How you use your home can have a drastic impact on the performance of that home. We can build it as best as we can, as sustainably as we can, as environmentally friendly and efficient as we can. But if you go in and crank the heat all the way up and leave all your lights on or run your AC at full blast when you're not home, then you're gonna use energy whether or not I designed the space or built the space to do that. So don't just build a sustainable home, use a sustainable home and use your home sustainably. And you don't just need to be living in a sustainably built home to do those things. There are small things we can do every day, not just turning off lights, not just saving water, but also thinking about the materials that we bring into our home and the materials that we use and the waste that we create. And all of those things come together to form a sustainable home. Exodus chapter 25, verse 18 reads, Ve'asita shanaim keruvim zahav miksha otam. You shall make two golden cherubim, 
hammered, you shall make them. We follow instructions here on Drinking and Drashing Torah with a twist. So for this week on Midrashic Mixology, we present to you the hammered cherubim. In a cocktail shaker, start with four ounces of mezcal. We are in the desert after all, and mezcal will give us those smoky flavors for the incense and burnt offerings that will fill the mishkan. Add in one ounce of honey, because let's be real for a minute, it seems like almost everything in the mishkan is covered with gold, including the cherubim. While we're at it, squeeze in the juice of one whole lemon, because building this thing is going to be a lot of work. For a non-alcoholic cherub, replace the mezcal with a chilled black tea. Shake all of that with ice and either pour into two glasses to share with a friend or make one really big one for yourself because let's be real, you deserve it. Garnish with a lemon twist that's as complicated and twisty as possible. And please, we know that the name of the drink is funny, that's why I chose it, but please have your golden angels drink responsibly. Lechaim. Lechaim, that sounds delicious. You elevated it to a whole nother level. Thank you. It's a very simple drink, but a very good one with the mezcal and the honey and the lemon. You elevated it to a whole nother level, covering it in gold, gold rim maybe on the glass. Oh, you could go so extra with gold leaf and there's so much we could do with this. Gold flakes. Ooh, they have that like gold sea salt. We could do something with that. There's so much we could do here. I'm just enjoying Asher out punning you. He's like, we could have done so much more with this. Let's go, Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Gabe and Asher, that was quite a drink that you built. I am excited to hear that the Sherabim will be responsible, but also might be getting a little bit hammered during this episode. You know, look, it's helpful. They were really on top of their game for the Haftara portion and, you know, Isaiah for Parshat Yitro with Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. So if we can bring them to a higher, holier level, then who are we to fight that, right? Let's encourage it. It's great. We have, however, gotten to that part of our episode, the thank yous and closing cues. And so, Asher, Gabe, Idan, in a Zoom room full of bearded men, all of whom I believe have an affinity for the sport of baseball, in Fields of Dreams, we learn if you build it, they will come. In Turuma, we learn if you call them, they will build it. What is a structure that we could or should be building and who should we be calling to create something holy or special? Gabe, we'll start with you. One of the things that's been tossed around a lot recently, and by recently, I mean like for a while now in the Jewish community, is this idea of widening the tent or of making a bigger tent, big tent Judaism, get everybody inside the tent which is a cool idea. We wanna be as inclusive as possible. The thing that I would like to suggest, the thing that I think we should be building is that we don't necessarily need to widen the tent, but we need to open up the door. So I would suggest that we need to make a much bigger doorway. We need to make it much easier to come into the tent. We need to remove the barriers to entry which is one of the reasons I really enjoy doing this podcast because we get to bring on 
really interesting people like Asher who do things that aren't necessarily like as nerdy Jewish as I am and can attract a very different kind of Jewish people than I'd be able to do myself. And so, yeah, giving a platform, I guess that's another thing we could build. I think, yeah, lowers the barrier to entry and opens up the door a little more. So yeah, that's what I think, building a bigger doorway. And inviting everyone in. Big foyer. It's exciting. Asher, what are you thinking about? I think we should build a giant table so we can all sit down and eat together and drink together and share stories together and maybe dance on the table if that happens to be our choice. But a place of gathering and eating and drinking, basically at a nice big wooden table covered in gold. I love it. I wonder if it'd be easy to clean or hard to clean. I feel like you'd have to keep it polished a lot. Like if you're going to dance on it, would it be scuffed up? Polished or scuffs are the memories. Some of the best things in this world are dirty and tarnished and beat up and banged up. And then there's a story that goes along with each scratch. I love that. Amazing. Idan, you are also a pretty handy human being. What say you? What would you build? Who would you call? Well, I think the thing that's more to note of what I have to say about this is less on what I'm building, because I think, you know, similarly, a wider tent or a larger table are both things that can go along with this idea. But I think more importantly, who I would call, I think calling people with differences and you might say calling our enemies even and breaking bread, and that could be done over a table lined with gold with all the scuffs, make our own scuffs and our own memories with those people and find the similarities and what we have in common with these people to really bridge communities together. And really, there you go, build a bridge. Beautiful, build a bridge, I love that. I think for me, realistically, it's hard to say what I would build, mostly because Gabe would need to come in and help build it. (laughs) But I think I love this idea of building, this is gonna sound silly, but kind of rebuilding a different type of field of dreams but building an area where everybody could look out and sit and be together and enjoy nature, but also just enjoy the beauty of like being able to dwell. I think there's so much noise around us all the time, whether it's computers or phone calls or text messages or TikTok or YouTube videos or things that are drawing our attention from, you know, the ability to just rest and relax. I would love to build something that would allow people to dwell. So maybe it's a giant thing full of hammocks, or maybe it's, you know, a place where people can just straight chill and have like a good cup of hot cocoa and a good conversation. Or maybe it's a place where there can be, you know, beach chairs out there or the swingy chair things that people can sit in and read a book. You know, I would love to build a place where people could dwell and just relax and maybe not be so inundated with noise. But that's my side of the conversation. There are people who might have different opinions or different demands. And so, Asher, if people are looking to build something with you, if they're looking to continue the conversation, how could they find or follow you? The best way to find SteveWorks is at our website, www.steveworks.com. We also have a Facebook presence and an Instagram presence. I can be reached personally via the website or at asher at steveworks.com. Beautiful. And any last words, thoughts, concerns, or jokes that you want to share? I've had a blast today drinking and drashing, doing Torah with a twist. And I thank my wife 
for going to Kutz Camp with Amanda and inspiring me to be here and meet all of you. I am also grateful to your family for really bringing you here, but also bringing you up so beautifully that you do this with such love and such joy, right, in the building of something beautiful. Thank you so much to Gabe and Edan, as always, for being partners in podcasting, but also for being my fellow builders and colorers and block tower makers. And hopefully we don't knock over those block towers so much because, you know, we don't want to be like Ari in that way. I'm just saying. Thank you to Kate for making us sound brilliant. And thank you to all of you who really helped put in your own bricks that make this podcast work. We're so thankful to be here and talking with you and man, making our way through the middle of Exodus. It's difficult. It's time consuming. It's really like a lot of building and a lot of effort, but we think it's going to be beautiful in the end. Stay tuned for our conclusion. We hope that you're dwelling well. Hey, Gabe. Hey, Amanda. You know, for someone who really isn't so great at the whole building thing, I felt like we built something beautiful today with Asher. I loved his discussions about why the materials we choose are important, but also this idea that it's who's inside a home that makes it a home and not what's inside a home that makes it a home. He had a lot of really wonderful thoughts and ideas around what makes a home, but also what makes building so special. Coming together as a community and building something that's meant to last and something that will be good to the earth and good for the people around it. But also something that's beautiful. I mean, listen, we talk about the tabernacle and it's hard for us to imagine, which is strange because there are so many details in it, right? Like it should be the easiest thing in the world for us to imagine. They spell it out for us. But this idea of carrying this golden overlaid thing seems, as you said before, gaudy, which was nice. Good pun. But also just almost impossible for us to imagine bringing it into real life. And I think one of the beautiful things that Asher brought in was everybody has the ability to give their gift, to bring their material, whatever that raw material might be, to make a community work, to make something special. And I think we can all learn from that. I don't think that that ends at building. I don't think that that even ends at physical space. I think that we can have those moments where we bring what we have, where, you know, we bring whatever we can give either to our physical community, to our families, to an online community. We figure out how to give what we can to those around us, how to make the world a better place in that way. And I'm taking it one step back again. I think that so much of us is this idea of bringing it forward, right? Giving, giving, giving. And yes, don't get me wrong. Our Torah portion this week, it starts that way too, right? Let the people bring me gifts. What can they give to make this work? Torah like deals with this idea of giving a gift. But there's also a reminder in the middle of all this work of what this work is for. And that's this idea, right? Again, the Asuli Mikdash, the Shechanti Betocham. Make me a sanctuary so that I can dwell among them. But make me a place where I am able to dwell, where I can relax, where I can feel at home, safe, at ease. That's something that we've got to remember for ourselves too, that in the midst of all this building, there's a purpose, there's a mission. 
there's really a place where we're going to be able to sit down at the end of the day and just go, I created this and now I can rest. I think that's a beautiful note to end on. We hope all of you are able to find some rest this week, whether it's with your hammered angels or maybe just a cup of tea. L'chaim. L'chaim. Hi, I'm Asha Greenberg, and you've been listening to Drinking and Droshing, Torah with a Twist. The first project that I built was a coat rack made from wood and metal hooks, and I still have it today to hang my coat on. Mm-hmm.